0: Jonathan, it's the uh, last part in your series, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, it is indeed. Thank you very much. But yeah, let's just quickly pray. Holy Spirit, would you bring fruit this morning? Would we be encouraged? Would we be built up in the faith, in the gospel, in the word? But let it don't just be words. Let it be life-transforming truths that we can apply and put into practice when we leave this building, when we go to our houses and to our office desks and wherever else we do most of life in your name Lord Jesus amen Amen. right so as Josephine said we are now coming into land for the Gideon series so we've reached the conclusion of our journey with Gideon and Israel hopefully we found time in this biblical story Uh, the light's kind of fading on my notes a little bit there let me change that Uh, Hopefully we found our time in this story in the book of Judges encouraging. We found it enlightening and an opportunity for reflection. As you know, I sensed a nudge at the start of our time when we were first gathering in the granary to look at this Tail or not tale sorry this narrative to look at this story because there was a sense within me that we could see parallels that we could draw from Gideon and from Israel and compare to ourselves and see what we could do similarly but see how we could do things differently where it was appropriate to do things differently from what they did. So we've, learned, we've had lessons to be learned, revelations to be revealed, warnings to heed as well. And it's that last one that the author of Judges wants to leave us with. As I said in the penultimate message, if you were here last time I spoke, God's word was written by real people in a real gritty reality of a world. And with that, amidst the triumphant encouragements that we've read about, the miraculous events that we've seen, and the illuminating revelations, the Holy Spirit wants to leave us with a word of warning. And that's not always a bad thing. Warnings are actually good things to help us, to guide us, to lead us, and to direct us. And that's what the author of Judges is finishing this story of Gideon with. So, We're doing this lest we fall and fail in the same way Gideon did last time. And if we do the same as we look at Israel, particularly this time. Through all of this, though, it's not to make us nervous or paranoid here that the author of Judges and myself don't give warnings so that we become paranoid or nervous that we're going to slip up. We all will and we all do. It's part of being human. That's part of the world we live in. Although we're saints, we still get tempted. We still fail. We still fall in different ways. It's to be an expectation to a certain degree. Although we look to a God who's constantly changing us and transforming us to look more like him from one degree of glory to another to reflect his character and his nature. But in and through all of that, we worship a God who helps us in our humanity, and our frailness. A God who Richard explained to us from the word last week is a God of compassion and a God of grace. So although we reflect Gideon and Israel in some circumstances where we fall and fail, over and above it all, God is being constantly gracious to us, constantly compassionate to us, and the way he does that is warning us. Helping us, putting the parameters in place, putting the rail posts in place to direct us to the point and purpose and end to which he's called each and every one of us, which is to know him and to love him. So a thread being weaved throughout this whole series is the constant reminder that we are a weak people, but a weak people who serve a mighty God. We're a weak people, but God is a mighty God. God and in our weakness or rather when our weaknesses engage with his mightiness we become a beautiful picture of his glorious power and grace let's embrace our weakness let's recognize God's mightiness and as we do it we gel together we thread together and then we become this beautiful picture of the power and grace of God at work in our lives he gets the glory and we get to enjoy that with him in this world and especially particularly in the next in the kingdom with him well like last time we looked at the first warning for those of you who were here and particularly for those who weren't here the first warning that we looked at was don't idolize what's not worth idolizing and we asked the question who will rule For what we idolize will rule over us. What we choose to idolize, we choose to rule over us ultimately. Today, then, in these final verses, we'll see what appears to be the final warning as we close our series, and it's this Starting well is great, but finishing well is what counts. Starting well is great but finishing well is what counts. And the question the author of Judges wants to pose to us at the close of Gideon's story is this, am I running now in such a way that I'll finish well later? Am I running well now and in such a way that I'll finish well later at the end? Whenever that might be. So, let's jump in then, and if you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow. It won't be up on the screen, I don't believe, but it's only short, and I will read it. It's Judges chapter 8, verses 29 to 35. Judges 8, 29 to 35, for any note-takers. And it says this. Jerubal, that's Gideon, he went by two names, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons... Mm-hmm. I'm good with two, uh, of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name was Abimelech. Just side note, we're not going to go into it, but it was wrong then, it's wrong now, but God works through the wrong at different times, okay? God is not condoning concubines or lots of wives and husbands. But it was a time and a culture he worked through. Gideon, son of Joash, died a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They were a group of gods. They set up Baal Bereth as their gods. That was a specific god within that group of gods and did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Now, does anyone here remember school sports days? Back in the day, school, sports days, epic, epicness. For some of us, a day we couldn't wait for where we'd uh, get to enjoy what's essentially a day-long PE lesson. And some of us are thinking, yes, otherwise the sweats are starting to kick in. Uh, we could play, we could be competitive, we could do a bit of show off, we could impress the girls or we could impress the boys, athletic abilities, and maybe win a prize. For others of us, it was a day we either remembered to ditch if we knew it was coming up and we could get away with it, or if it was a, if it was coming up and we couldn't do that, we would do our very best to drag, drag ourselves to it, displaying a face and body language that showed either no interest at all and would produce the least amount of energy or enthusiasm to do uh, anything. I was the former; Kerry was the latter. Only joking. That's not true. I said that to her, and she said, "Don't say that." Because during primary school, she was athletic and into PE. It was then high school. She became the cliche girls in the corner, don't care, not doing anything, whatever. Um, But, but, in that PE day, there was always that classic race, the relay race with the baton. Jim, yes, were you good at it, Jim? You were in it, were you? Okay. Oh, lovely. Right. Volunteer number one, volunteer number two, volunteer number three, here's our baton, I keep saying baton, but that's different, here's our baton, come up gentlemen then please, this is for the benefit of everyone who can't remember, I'm I'm sure we can all remember, do your stretches, stretch, stretch, okay then, right, Chris, you come here, great, Nathaniel, you come here. And Chris, you can get the glory, oh, Chris, Jim, you can get the glory, you come here, okay? Nice, now, Relay Race, okay, it's a ra- wait a minute, wait a minute now, okay, Relay Race, If you remember, it's a short circuit. It's round the circular track. Okay, Um, there's only so many on that team, uh, and you're racing against the others who are on the other lane of several lanes. That's in that circular circuit. And what you do is, we will start with you actually. You have the baton. It's actual. Actually, no. That's a piece of um, pipe from my old boiler. Got it replaced this week. Perry said you're not buying a proper baton, just yeah. for a sermon illustration, she's got a point. Um, <laughs> right, you've got to get into relay race position here now, do you remember what that is? Yes, that's it, yeah. so one arm like that, ready, <laughs> fist, fist closed, come on, yeah, okay, this arm at the back, bend the knees, yep. straighten, straighten this one, yep. okay, and what you do is we'll do it in slow motion, right. and then we'll do a fast one, okay, right, slow motion, so on the count of three, and when I blow my pretend whistle you go for it but we'll do slow motion okay so it's one two three that's right Chris is going for it Chris is going for it that's it he gets to Nathaniel his teammates they pass it smoothly Nathaniel gets to Jim who's the last person Jim crosses the finish line and he makes it that's right I'm sure that happened every time, Jim, when you did do a relay race, absolutely, always the winner. But if you guys stay there in your position still, stay there in your position still, okay, that's right, pass him the baton. So this is the baton, okay, Mm -hmm. and the aim of the game, as we all know, is we've got to get the baton to the last person, and that last person has to cross the finish line and beat the other team that's in the other lane next to them. If they drop the baton... They've got to pick it up and they've got to, well not start again, oh. but they've got to pick it up. If this person loses speed and the other person is rushing ahead of them, and they've got to either way get that baton to the next person. And it's a very skilled race actually because you've got to have your hand ready. Most of them don't look back because if you look back, you're just going to waste few, a lot of precious seconds. So you're straight ahead, focused on the finish line, hand is ready to feel the baton. As soon as you feel it, it's, And you're going for it again and repeat, 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 repeat until you make it to the finish line. Thank you, gentlemen. You can have a seat. Well done. Good man. Good man. Excellent. So, very quick visual reminder of what on earth a relay race was, if it's been a lot of years. Or if you're one of those who were having a fag behind the garage not interested in racing. Right. There it is. The baton. We'll get on to this and we'll keep it. Right. So the life of a disciple of Christ is a lot like a relay race. Okay, Simple illustration, simple connection, but simple truths can often have deep-rooted realities that we can mine up. So it's a lot like a relay race in many ways. One way of looking at it is not seeing you pass the baton of faith. And from now on, this is the baton of faith. This is your faith you are carrying it, you've been given it as a gift of grace by Jesus Christ, it is yours and it is your responsibility to cross it over the finish line whenever that day is decided for you in God the Father's books, but this is your baton of faith and it's different from what I just explained, we're not passing it to another person, although that is important. So for example, we could be passing the faith on to the next younger generation, important, and we do that. We could be back passing the baton on to the next anointed leadership of our church, also equally important, and we can pass faith on to many other different people. Unbelievers, as we explain to them, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they're born again by the spirit and they become believers. All unique reasons to pass on the baton of faith, but for our purposes in this story of Israel and Gideon, we're seeing it slightly different. It's also seeing us pass this baton on to our future selves. So it's not Chris, then Nathaniel, then Jim, different people. It's the present me, passing it on to the next season of me, passing it on to the future version of me as I go through life as I progress through life as Jesus followers we're constantly growing maturing and flourishing in the things of holiness and godliness in each season of our lives we're never the same but we're always different being transformed by the spirit as we grow in our relationship with Jesus and continually walk with him There are different versions of us in each different season of our lives. And with each new season, we're either passing the baton on, the baton of faith on. We're losing our grip of it. We may be tripping up in life over things. Or we're just getting a bit lost on the track of life. Losing our grip, getting a bit lost or tripping up over things. The goal, however, is to pass the baton on as we reach the end of our journey in this world. Israel was a part of that race, individually and collectively. Gideon was too, and although he he was honored as someone who lived to a good old age and did good to Israel, as we've been reading about throughout this whole series, even being mentioned in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, if you remember, As part of the great cloud of witnesses, if you recall that scripture, he's mentioned in there, albeit briefly, but his name's in there, which is an honour. He also struggled to grip his baton well. He struggled towards the end. Creating a fake ephod, if you remember, we looked at what that was. Basically claiming priestly power rather implying it, but it was there so that he could mediate between the people and God. But that wasn't his role, that wasn't his responsibility. He disobeyed God in that sense. And behaving as though he were king and even naming one of his sons Abimelech. So we're like, okay, what's the big deal? Just sounds like a Middle Eastern name in the ancient Near East. Abimelech in Hebrew means my father is king. So he's naming one of his sons, my father is king. So although he never was anointed, as we looked at, he was never positioned as a king by his actions and what he did, he was behaving as one. And back in those days, there was one king, and that was God, that was Yahweh. It's the same today, obviously, but God in his mercy provided a king because they were disobedient. Israel was no different at this time, and they too, as we read, hoard and prostituted themselves after false gods. Not my language, just just different biblical translations so I can get away with it. That's what they did. They hoard and prostituted themselves to fake gods, forgetting all that the Lord did and delivered them from. And in so doing, disrespected Gideon's sacrifice to them. And then sadly, individual Israelites lost their grip on their baton of faith. And so here again is the warning the author wants us to heed. Starting well is great. I've got the baton of faith. I'm starting well. But finishing well is what counts. Is the grip still strong? Have we got lost or have we tripped up over something? And then comes the question. Am I running now in such a way that I'll finish well later? So how is our running going? How is your running going on the track of life with the baton of faith God's given you? Physically speaking, right, I'm not a runner. I think I might have the body for one, and I have tried it, but it's just not for me. Okay, that was loud. (laughs) Uh, But he is right, though. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. I'm not a runner. I applaud the likes, and she's not actually here, of people like Kirsty Nags and anyone else who's similar to her. She's got the running app. She's measuring her distance. Rachel Lewis is another one, if you know her. She's going to all these park runs. I know Isaac's the same as well, and Joel. They're doing all these crazy park runs on a weekend, which is just ridiculous when you should be in bed resting. And I'm, I know And I'm one of those people who will have a sudden panic that I'm very unfit, which I'm feeling right now, because I hardly did any exercise for that illustration. I've been out of breath since then, trying to catch up with it. (laughs) But I'll panic, think I'm very unfit, I'm eating too much junk. Had an Indian this Friday night, and it was. It's beautiful. Um, And a bit of ice cream. Uh, And so I'll get my running shoes, go out for a jog a few times over a few weeks, maybe months, maybe months, Uh, forget I was worried about my fitness, give up and basically eat several Ben & Jerry's tubs for the next several weeks and months and then the cycle continues. I'm worried, I panic, get my shoes out, try to start running again and the cycle continues. So I'm not a runner by nature, however, spiritually speaking, as I've said, we're all in a race. All of us are runners in the spirit. All of us are racing, all of us are running towards the goal in our hearts. The goal is to be with Christ in his kingdom, in the new heavens and earth, enjoying eternal life, knowing and delighting in him fully as we're known and as we're delighted in, being in his glory and worshipping him in happiness and in peace forever. To be clear now, And I felt I just wanted to be very clear about this. I am not in any way promoting any form of legalism as I continue with this message, right? No legalism here. So, and, and for those of you who don't know what that term is, it's just about believing that you can earn your salvation by adding something you do or have to Christ's finished work on the cross. Contributing, adding something that you have or that you are to what Jesus has finally, ultimately, totally, completely done and finished for us when he died on the cross and bought our salvation. Nothing like that here in this message, nothing like that we believe as part of this church. So for example though, if I read my Bible enough, if I pray long enough, if I do this good deed, if I go to every church meeting, God will accept me and save me. Big capitals, no. No, 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 no. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's all a gift alone to you. Alone, 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 Christ alone, only ever Jesus has done it all for us. So what I am recommending and what the author of Judges and the Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God is recommending is a healthy reflection and discipline Reflecting on our relationship to the Lord. How is your walk with Him? Or in this case, how is your run with Him? We go to marriage courses, we put our cars into MOTs, we have work appraisals, we get our boilers serviced, and I had mine replaced recently. And without stretching the analogy too far, because it is different in those illustrations why wouldn't it be similar, somewhat, to our souls? To reflect, to look back, to do a check-in, to do a check-up, like when you go to the doctors. Sometimes I think we assume that we've received faith and therefore now we don't need to do anything, actually. Soul and our spirit is part of us, as part of our bodies, as part of this world, and just like we check-in and check-up on ourselves, it's part of that as well. So let's make sure we're running our race of faith well so the lord is pleased not so he'll save us because he's done that we're running from a place of being saved but we're running to a continual place of pleasing gods of wanting him to smile upon us or wanting to reach the end and hear him say as the text says in the scriptures well done good and faithful servant well done You've finished the race, you've crossed the line, you've pleased me and the father. That's what we want to do. Don't we wanna please our heavenly father? For those of us who had good earthly dads and mums, don't we wanna please them? Don't we wanna honor them? Don't we want them to beam with us with pride over, what, or, or, over how we've behaved, how we've acted, what we've done? Not so that they'll remain our mum and dads, because they are our mum and dad regardless but because we want to please them. We want to feel the love and affection being poured out over us because of how we've interacted with them, how we've seen them, how we've engaged with them. And God calls us to a similar thing as well. Let's read something Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27, if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. <laughs> Do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they had olympic type games in those times in corinth etc in greece they do it to get a crown the uh, floral wreath if you remember that was their prize Therefore, I do not run like someone someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So there's Paul saying, we're in a race. Let's run. Let's run well. And let's get the prize for which we've been called to God through Christ to be with our Father. That is the prize. New life, resurrection, new birth, being in the kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, joy, peace, perfection, delight, happiness, satisfaction. The greatest form of reality that this, like C.S. Lewis said, what we live in now is just a shadow compared to what the new reality of of the kingdom of heaven is going to be. He said something like what we feel grass is now, is just like a shadow, but the grass of heaven, and he's obviously using poetry here, but the grass of heaven will be so real that we will feel every part of it. That's how real it's going to be, and that is our prize to be with Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. So some thoughts then just to reflect. So feel free to log these away, think about them during the week, jot them down if you want to. If I'm going too quickly, feel free to grab me and I'll say them to you again. But just some thoughts to reflect on in the coming week or months. Am I eager to spend time in his presence, praying to my father? Is there an eagerness to do it? Not not denying the fact that we're busy. Some of us with young families have kids. And this is my current experience. And it is hard to carve out time. It's not about... Whether you do or don't, per se, it's about, is there an eagerness there? Do I actually want to? Do I feel like I'm missing something or someone, if I haven't been in his presence, to pray to him? Does God's words encourage me and create a hunger to feast on his truth? When I read the scriptures, am I encouraged when I come away from it? And do I want to go straight back to it? Or take longer in it if I only could if my lunch break allowed me at work but it doesn't is there a is there a hunger in there is gathering with fellow saints that's us if you're a Christian you're a saint it's not the halo and it's not the stained glass window it's if you love Jesus you're a saint and uh, uh, is gathering with fellow saints as a local church a top priority and collectively worshipping together If I can't be here when you guys are here am I gutted Am I bummed about that? Will I move heaven and earth and not allow wild horses to stop me being here with you guys, spiritual mums, spiritual dads, spiritual brothers and sisters, because I know it's where I'm meant to be. It's the cosmic event of my week. I like to use that phrase. It is a cosmic event when we come together to worship Jesus. Is Jesus Christ sweet to me? I love that passage of scripture, although it could be a lyric in a song, Um, uh, Christ is he is the name of Christ sweet like honey on my lips his spirit like water to my soul his word as a lamp to my feet actually I think it's a song is Jesus the name of Jesus the person of Christ sweet to me is it is it delicious to me do I do I lick my lips when I think about Jesus because he's precious he's a treasure he's the source and the focus of my adoration and my enjoyment is he like my favourite meal when I go to him and I'm just enjoying being with him again we have emotions we have jobs that are difficult families that are tough societies that seem to be crumbling again thinking of Ukraine some of these people aren't maybe thinking about this at the moment but that's part of the perseverance that's part of the running holding the baton as best as they can and with the grace that the spirit gives them. Am I loving people and doing good to others as an overflowing expression of my love to God? Is an opportunity to do good to someone I don't even know, like praying for a country you've never been to, is that something I want to be doing? I have a passion to do, to help the hungry, the homeless. Jesus said, if you gave water to someone thirsty, clothed someone without them, a home to someone who is homeless, etc., etc." Whoever you do to the least of these, you did it to me. When we help someone in need, we are helping Jesus. And he sees that. And lastly, am I living a life publicly and privately that honours the Lord and reflects his moral character, living righteously? Do I live in a way that reflects the morality of God and his righteousness that people notice, can see? We think, we speak, we behave differently. Why? What's the deal? Again... I'm not promoting legalism or judgmentalism, laying that foundation down here. We all have our race to run, and we're all responsible for how well we run it. But it's about reflection, and as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, it's about discipline of our spirits. In a way that pleases God, who's already redeemed us by his grace. We don't judge, we do not judge, but we do support each other. We encourage each other. We check in with each other. How are you doing? What's up? That's what small groups are for, by the way. If you feel like you're missing that, plug into one of our several small groups. If you come to us, I will ask you that question. Nathaniel, how is your soul, my friend? <laughs> he loves it, though. Some of you may not like that as much. Um, so how can we help each other finish well? Just three things here. How can we help each other finish well? By being there for each other. For example, praying for each other, catching up together in small groups, as I've just mentioned, sharing life together. Don't be embarrassed to say what's going on and how it's going, the struggles and the victories. Challenging each other. Tough one in this day and age, I recognise that, but I've experienced it and it is for our best. Asking how we are and if we can help. Not a polite Western middle class, oh, how are you, hoping they really don't say anything. But uh, if they do, to actually embrace that, unpack it, and maybe even say, oh, how can I help you with that? What can I do to assist you? Being welcome, being friendly, being hospitable. Next, by being involved with each other serving one another with our gifts and our skills, serving on different teams in the church together. If you want to serve and get involved and meet different people but also help different people, check in on one of the several teams we do, we run, we have. Introducing ourselves to new people. I love seeing that. I love not seeing someone by themselves at the end but being spoken to by other people. Sharing in worship as we come expectant for the spirit to move around us. We're really against consumerism, individuality, we're for community, we're for expecting the spirit to work miraculously and supernaturally among us, not for the pazao, but for the encouragement of someone else that they're built up and that they're edified in their faith walk, that's what we're about. So having the boldness to do that from where you are, come to the front or do it privately at the end, whatever. And then lastly, by reminding each other to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. You know, this week, a colleague of mine died. Uh, Her name was Gemma. Got a phone call to say that she had unexpectedly passed away. She was in hospital for a few months prior, had some kind of virus, was released, struggled to walk a bit, but um, using a cane, etc., uh, and was getting better, was on the mend, was healing, was back at work part-time, and then got a call on Wednesday from my line manager to say, uh, first of all, um, Gemma's collapsed at her home because she was home working. Uh, and then uh, that her heart stopped briefly and the paramedics are currently with her. Uh, and then later that afternoon, having spoken to her the day before, uh, boss gave us a phone call and said, she's died. Uh, 39-year-old, six-year-old boy, and a husband, and it's over, just like that. And then a pastor emails me because he had a bit of a query about something else. Then on Friday, because there was a little boy uh, who was three years old, and he died. As two, he died too, on Friday. And so he's just letting me know uh, for different reasons to do with my job. Uh, but the point of that is to say. Who knows how and who knows when? That's why it's important to fix our eyes every day on Jesus. It might not always be a fixing my eyes on Jesus every day, nine till five, from when I wake up to when I go to bed, because that's not realistic. We've got jobs, we've got families, etc. But are we fixed on Jesus? Are we transfixed on him? Are we committed and dedicated to him each and every day of our lives following him. So let's live every day fixed on Jesus. And I don't know how it gets worked out, but encouraging each other to do that. So if you're that type of person, it could be a, how do, work, how do you walk with Jesus? Not everyone might be like that, but whatever the subtle way is, whatever the more obvious way is, let's encourage each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. So lastly then, um, our journey with Gideon, and let's bring this in for a close, comes to an end. We read of many encouragements, opportunities for us to rise in faith and reflect, as we've read, if you remember, if you've been part of this, the call, the commission, the identity, the courage and the faith that he and Israel received from God, but also warnings to heed and not reflect, but do differently. All scripture was breathed out our instruction, our edification, and so that we would do things differently where we're called to do things differently. To run and finish our race of faith as Hope Church. We're going to do it individually and we're going to do it collectively as a family. And as we do that, to conclude, let's remember the one who's run ahead of us. The one our future selves will one day pass the baton onto. We pass the baton on to our future selves, but ultimately this baton called my faith is going to be passed on to one person in particular, the one who wants it, the one that we want to give it to, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we cross the finish line of faith. In conclusion, let me read this final verse and we will wrap this all up. It is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The scriptures are scattered with racing and running metaphors. And Jesus is that that guy at the end, at the finish line, that we will see, meet, hand the baton onto, and he will welcome us across and will receive our prize that's him if you take anything away from this series let it be the invitation to look to jesus our mighty god who for you and the joy that you would give him it's not just about you giving joy to jesus jesus not not you receiving joy from jesus jesus enjoys you jesus gets joy from you and your life and your faith um who died on the cross to save you from judgment and condemnation and to bring you over the finish line into his glorious presence, peace, and purpose. That's what's over the finish line. Peace, purpose, and his presence with us. We are a weak people, but a weak people who love and live for a mighty God who's making us into a glorious picture of his power and grace. Oh Jesus, thank you for the story of Gideon and for reminding us in this series and in this narrative from your scriptures that you are a mighty God. We are a weak people, but you call us to yourself. And I pray for each and every one of us that we would hold on to the baton of faith and that we would not get lost although we may do along the way, but we'd come back. We would not lose our grip, although we may do on the way, but we will get it tightened. And that we would not trip up, although we will do along the way, but ultimately, may we cross the finish line and see you face to face, Jesus Christ, and pass our life into your hands and then be with you forever and ever. In your name, Jesus. Amen.